It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. Welcome everyone. Polar Opposites. Technically the Thursday edition. Coming out on a Saturday. Trying to get scheduling figured out between the two between the two of us, myself, Spencer Byers, and of course Cajun Theru, Thanny Castle. I will now openly admit that next month or this coming Monday's episode of uh, edition of Polar Opposites, which happens to be Christmas Day, will be moved to Boxing Day. We move to the twenty sixth, so it'll be on Tuesday, not Monday. Cajun's busy on Christmas, and I will be, I don't know, hiding like the Grinch. I don't know. I haven't really decided yet, Cage, what I'll be doing mm-hmm. on Christmas other than hiding and humbugging all the uh, cheering and and uh, chanting children. Okay, that's but cool. uh, anyway. Well, somebody's got to be, you know, somebody's got to be Santa and someone's got to be the Grinch or, or Scrooge McDuck. Anyway, uh, moving on to the basketball, of course, which is I hope why you're all here, unless you prefer, God forbid, one, one of us. Unlucky, by the way. Um, we're going to start off with something I even told Cajun about yet. But it's kind of come up a little bit recently, and I'd, I'd like to get Cajun's thoughts on it, and I will probably sprinkle in my uh, my opinion as well, but. Shaquille O'Neal, the Diesel. Shaq has been rather vocal recently. It feels like he he sounded off recently about the Draymond Green suspension. That's about three weeks to a, a month. Um, he also responded to well, also had comments about Zion Williamson, who then had who then responded to all the criticisms got from Shaq and Barkley as well as Stephen A. Smith and other personalities on TV. Shaq and Barkley then responded to the response, and it's been snowballing from there. And, and Cage, my question is very specific to Shaquille O'Neal, but in fairness, Charles Barkley and guys like that. When the media, our former athletes like Shaq and Charles are in the NBA, not just like, oh, you know, they were Gilbert Arenas, they were good players. You're talking about two guys who won the MVP. One guy who won a championship, one guy who should have won a championship. You're talking about guys that are Hall of Famers in Barkley, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. When they are in the media and they're criticizing other athletes, do you think that is, I'll say, positive or negative towards the athlete, regardless of the criticism? If, if it's a positive to the athlete or if it's a negative, in, the, in this example, to Zion Williamson, it's a negative towards him that he he needs to be more conditioned, he needs to be in their shape to be able to last in the NBA, which if the two guys that were probably out of shape in, in O'Neal and Barkley would know, you need to be in better shape to be able to last the NBA season as both their careers ended basically due to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's it's a different taste, I would say, when guys like Stephen A. Smith or Mad Dog Russo say something in the media because they're media personalities. That's what they do. That's what they're, that's what they're paid to do is just to say, I'll say say things, but to to, to have an opinion on everything. I gotta ask. I gotta, ask I gotta ask you this, little Spence. What? And you brought up Mad Dog Russo, and I know, and uh, he he had uh, Jay Williams and Stephen A. Smith riled up when he said Shaq isn't even Shaq's the fifth best center ever. Mm-hmm. And then they got riled up, and then Jay Williams started praying for him. So that became a mess in itself. Who are four or five centers that are better than Shaq? Before we get into that, I mean, the only there's four I can think of. I'll say four I can think of. You would think you'd say Kareem's better than him, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem and Bill Russell, like def- definitively. Well. Russell, maybe. Um, Wilt Chamberlain is a similar player to Shaq. Obviously, both believed to be the most dominant players at the position during their eras. Same thing with Kareem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if the Akeem to the Jim Olajuwon would have an argument. I don't know. But just a name that would be in that same category as Shaq, I would say. Um, I'm not sure if Nikola Jokic has moved his way into the list yet. I wouldn't say Joel Embiid has, but I would say Nikola Jokic would be 
within range. Mm. Um, but other than those, you know, maybe four or five guys, Shaq's in that same tier. So I guess it's the way, do you, how do you want to rank them, right? In my mind, because everyone's got their own criteria. And obviously, Mad Dog Russo's got whatever criteria he decides to use on the day. And I would say Shaq's probably top three. Because I would say Kareem's better than him. And then I don't know who I would say it between Shaq or the Dream or Will and or Russell. Like, I, I don't know. Like, they're all really good players. Like, when you're, when you're arguing between Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, you're battling pretty great players. So... Mm-hmm. It it it's kind of just who do you think's better in that scenario? Like, and I'll say you, but I meaning like the individual ranking these guys. It's who you saw, who who made you feel emotion when you watched. Who, you know, do you feel looking at the stat sheet or from what you remember? You know, like you and I would have never even dreamt of seeing Russell or Chamberlain play in the NBA. You and I saw Shaq play, like maybe at the tail end for me, but we still saw him play. We've we we've seen highlights of Kareem play or Kareem and the Dream play, King Olajuwon. Mm. We've seen Nikola Jokic play, right? So that that's the thing. It's the same argument when you talk about you know, Bat Mad Dog Russo, the the Bob Cousy enthusiast. When when Bob Cousy gets brought into arguments like this, and no, I'm not trying to say I think Bob Cousy's you know where I where I lay with Bob Cousy, but regardless, he's a player that we never got to see play, that played in a very different NBA, obviously playing in like the 60s or 50s or whatever, yeah. you know? So it, it's it's hard to compare for me. I, I don't like comparing players from different eras. I just think it's it's you're going to have a, a, a set of criteria that people are, are going to disagree with fundamentally, and then there's no point to the list. Like, I don't like people who say Michael Jordan's the best because he's got six rings. That's, that's a flawed argument. That's a dumb argument. And, you know, like – I saw a video of why somebody believes Tom Brady's the most overrated quarterback or most overrated athlete of all time. And his oh, argument, one of his big arguments was that Tom Brady's overrated because he won seven rings. Yes, but those are team aqua- uh, team accomplishments. Saying Tom Brady won seven rings without mentioning they're a team award is ridiculous. Then why don't you feel the same way about people who say Michael Jordan's the greatest ever because he won six rings and won six and oh? Because he's got a team, so team sport. He didn't just win those six rings. Scotty Pippen won six rings. Uh, uh, Paxson won won three rings. Steve Kerr won, I think, three rings with the Bulls. Uh, Scotty Pippen won three wing three rings. Like you can't take rings, I would say specifically, but there are other criteria you can mention and and argue back and forth of how flawed they are. But I just think every argument you make is gonna be flawed. So I just say they're all in the same category. They're all really, really good centers that are all in the Hall of Fame for a reason. And if you want to split hairs on who's better, you know, I'll, I'll let you. But they're all the same category. They're all the same tier. They're all Hall of Famers for a reason. They all got voted into the Hall for a reason. Mm-hmm. And again, Cage, with saying that, you know, when guys like Hall of Famer Charles Barkley and Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal, and even back in the day when Bill Russell Hall of Famer, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Hall of Famer, when they would criticize athletes. But the difference between Shaq and Barkley, obviously, is they have a platform. They're on TNT every night. They're on, you know, inside the NBA, on their on their show. You know, mm. when they level criticism at guys, especially negative, but even positive, do you think that negatively or positively affects the athlete, comparatively speaking to, and say, Stephen A., and Mad Dog Russo say stuff, and I'll say they tune them out because they're not former athletes. How do they know? Oh, Barkley um, and O'Neal know, right? And you hit it on the nail, uh, Spencer. They're former athletes. More in particularly, they've they've known what Zion has felt. Um, Shaq, his conditioning and work ethic have been have been publicized during his playing career. And so did Charles Barkley as well. So if anybody knows what Zion Williamson is to a degree going through, those two guys know. And in this sort of sense, that's positively impacting the athlete. And I heard Zion's comments. I don't think that was in reference to Shaq and Charles because part of that, part of those comments was like, if they're looking out for me, great. If not, if not, then that's just outside noise. Um 
But yeah, like I think if you're an athlete, and especially if you if you've gone through something similar in that sense, then it positively impacts the athlete because you know where the you know you know it's coming from a place of love. See, but I, I always wonder if it negatively affects the guys, right? Because when it's again, say Stephen A, say even Shannon Sharp, who's a former athlete but not basketball, he played football. You know, when they say something, you're like, oh, okay, that's their opinion. When Shaq or Charles Barkley or even Kenny the Jet Smith, guys like that, say something and pick out something that you're doing, it's way more specialized, way more specific because they've played before, they've played with great players, they are great players in in respect, you know? I wonder if it can negatively affect a guy like, say, Dwight Howard, where Shaq really went after Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and other guys like that, you know, and it really well, negatively that, affected personal. them. Well, it turned into personal, but it didn't start off that way, mm-hmm. right? So I I just I, – I know you really can't answer it in, in a way, but I just – I think it's an interesting line of logic. All of guys being, and that's again, I think guys like Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. I know I keep saying their names because I keep trying to change how I say them, even though I think everyone knows the round mound rebound and the diesel, regardless. Um, you know, I just wonder how different their roles are as former athletes with such a massive platform inside the NBA, comparatively speaking to people on first take or people on, um, on Undisputed and, and shows like that. And maybe if the criticism that Charles and Shaq ledge against players, use against players, if they were a little more tailored and more texted to them instead of saying it on television or even just, you know, giving a broader spectrum on it and then going more in depth, pardon me, off the air. Because some guys do not like when they get their dirty laundry aired on on television. I personally don't care. Doesn't make any difference to me if you say something live on air, text me it, doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Some guys really don't like it when you say things about them on television. Dwight Howard was one of them, ironically. So I just wonder if guys like Shaq and Barkley would be a little bit less harsh on television and a little harsher in the text message. Because it's not like Shaq and Charles couldn't get Zion's phone number if they already have it. And I know they already have Draymond Green's number because Draymond Green's been on been on the show. And Shaq mm-hmm. was talking great about in, in Draymond Green in his comment about Draymond Green, saying, you know, the narrative that he needs counseling because of the way he plays on the court is ridiculous. He's a great person off the floor. He is a good person. Saying he needs therapy because of his on-court actions is ridiculous. And I don't, I don't disagree with them. But to catapult off of that you and i talked about on on this show draymond needs to change something because what he's doing on the court is is ridiculous and is over the line and is going to cause him problems and it has been so it's suspended indefinitely too exactly so it's not the argument of you know that draymond needs therapy because or or counseling because of his off court it's because what he's doing on the court is wrong and we've got to find a way to make sure he stops doing what he's doing on the court. The 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 punching, the chokehold, the 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 kicking, whatever it may be, the stomping in, in one scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just think it's a very interesting conversation to have when it comes to former athletes commenting on current athletes. And usually the negativity that comes with it because – the S year always wants to be remembered as better than the new generation when normally it's always the inverse, that the younger generation is better than the old generation mm-hmm. because of the training, because of the internet, because of the film study, because of all the things that we can do now that we couldn't do then, and vice mm-hmm. versa. Like, Bill Russell is not as good as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or as good as even, you know, the King of Dream... Hakeem the Dream Elijah because of the conditioning, because of the film study, because of all the things that they can do then that they couldn't do when Bill Russell played. That's not against Bill Russell, but that adds to why he could not have translated 
from just dropping him in at 21 in the NBA and saying, hey, go ahead. You know, and also he played four years of university basketball before he went to the NBA because you couldn't go out after one year of college ball. Mm. That wasn't a thing. So that also adds to the the thing with counting stats and, and all of that. But regardless, we will now move on to current day events. And the streak continues, Cage, for the last at least, at least four episodes. We talked about the Detroit Pistons and it continues today. The Pistons are, I think, what, 25-game losing streak now? Yep. They're one away from tying the record, two away from breaking the record, and they have a home-and-home home against the Brooklyn Nets, and uh, they have a chance to break it, Cage. They got a chance to be the first team ever in a single season to lose 27 games, and the Brooklyn Nets could be the team to make it 26 and 27. You told me this, though, and I want you to say live on air. You don't you think the Pistons are going to break it? You think the Pistons are not going to break the record? You think the Nets are going to blow it against the team that's won won no games in the last 25? Why? It's just one of those gut feelings. It's just one of those gut feelings. I'm like as they get closer and closer to inevitably maybe breaking that record according to many people there's always that one game that you don't really see coming because everybody thought the utah game would have been their best chance and they did play them close but utah ended up being on the right side of things i just feel like brooke i i just feel like at least for one of these two games for one of these two games brooklyn's gonna let their guard down Now, I don't know which one it could be the, today. Today it could be the next one, but Brooklyn's gonna let their guard down in one of them, and you gotta think the Pistons are gonna have some pride during that two-game home and home, and figure out a way to get a win. I don't know if it's gonna happen today, but if it, if it doesn't happen today, it's gonna happen in the in the next one. Well, that's a bold prediction for the team that's been. <laughs> Easily the worst team in the NBA, even after their two and one start. Again, now they are two and twenty-six on the season are the Detroit Pistons. They lost to Utah 119-111. They play at Brooklyn tonight. So basically, as this is up uh, as this is up as this is uploaded, you will see the Nets being playing the Pistons at Brooklyn, and then they play in Detroit on Boxing Day. So by the time we record on Tuesday, we'll know if they're gonna if they if they could break the record or not, and we'll see if you happen to be right or or you may be wrong. We'll see. We'll have to see. We'll see if we'll see if Cajun has got the Christmas luck or if he's a little bit he's, his pants have gotten a little bit too big. He's to find a bigger belt. Now, another team that's been rather lackluster this year, the Washington Wizards. We knew they were going to be pretty bad, but maybe not as bad as they've been. Five and 23 currently are the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. They lost to the Golden State Warriors, 129-118. And that game was only massive because it was the return to Chase for the return to the Chase Center for Jordan Poole at 25 points in the loss for the Wizards. Poole was actually uh, rather emotional in his return to to uh, return to uh, San Francisco, and I don't think he wanted to leave the Golden State Warriors, even though obviously he had those problems with Draymond and what have you. But regardless, it's hard to go from a winner to a loser, Cage. And Jordan Poole has kind of kind of gotten that that exactly going from the Golden State Warriors, who have been a title contender for. The last forever, it feels like, to a team in Washington that's in a full-blown rebuild. It's tough. It's tough to go from a championship, a team that just won a championship two years, like a season chump change ago, to now playing for a rebuilding franchise. And in fairness to Jordan Poole, he has been better as of late. Um, But you can imagine it's frustrating, like, starting off your career – with 
a team that you just won a championship with, and now you got to go through growing pains with a wizard squad. That's got a lot more questions than answers. Um, give Pooh credit. He's he, according to Steve Kerr. According to Steve Kerr, he has been a professional. He was a professional even during that whole mess with Draymond Green. But it's tough, and who knows if he's going if he's in Washington for the long haul. Or if things go from bad to worse there, like, you got to think, like, is he, where does he go next? Um, but it's nice to see the Golden State crowd um, give him a warm ovation. Um, and, yeah, like, it's, he's going to have to go through a lot of growing pains again. But. Mind, mind you this, Vince. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jordan Poole's rookie season had to be one of the worst in recent memory. And yet he found a way to overcome that and became become a key cog of a cha- of a championship team. I expect the season to be to continue to be trying for Jordan Poole, but Washington has said it himself. First, he's been the first guy in and the last guy out. So I expect Jordan Poole to bounce back from this. Um, well, but it's going to be difficult. I, I will take over. I, I will take over just quick, Cage, to say it wasn't a bad season. Um, he just was rather inefficient. He shot 33% from the field, about 28% from three. He averaged 8.8 points a game and about two and a half assists a game. So not bad for a late first-round pick in Jordan Poole, but he was very inefficient in his in his eight points a game, almost nine points, eight point eight points to be exact per game in his rookie season. Mm. So I wouldn't say it was a bad rookie year because obviously we've seen a lot worse, but it definitely was not. You would you wouldn't have th- thought after averaging 8.8 points a game and being so inefficient that he'd go on to score average 20 points a game just three years later. Like, that that definitely is not something you would have expected, even yeah. though you could see the potential. You don't always see it translate. For Jordan Poole, it did luckily translate into some really, really good years in Golden State all coming off the bench. Moving it did. It, it, on it, um, to the... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it, it did, and... Um... It ended up turning into great production, and I think this is something that Jordan Poole is going to have to figure figure out, but I think he will figure it out. You definitely have to think so, and, he, and even so, he, he, I would agree with you, Cage, that I don't know if he'll be in Washington for the long haul. I'd go as far as to say I don't think he will be. I think he will be dealt again. I'm not going to say this, this year at the deadline, but I would say within the next couple of years, they will probably trade Jordan Poole to maybe another contender. Or a team just looking to add scoring off the bench that he doesn't need to be the alpha. He could just be a guy. And we'll see if if that does ring true or if he's the star in Washington as they rebuild themselves into hopefully another contender as they may be moving. Um, the owner of the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards has tentatively agreed to move them to Virginia. Not too far, but... To Alexandria, I believe that's where the Virginia Cavaliers, the college team, I believe that's where they are, is, is Alexandria, Virginia. And mm-hmm. uh, they have an agreement on a building and, and all that stuff. So we'll see if the Washington Wizards do move from D.C. to the uh, state just over or what exactly happens there. But we'll just have to see if the nation's capital is losing both their hockey and basketball teams here in the coming year. Years, might I add. But but moving on to the uh, top-ranked teams, the Boston Celtics continue to roll the Eastern Conference, even with a recent loss to those Golden State Warriors. They stay undefeated at home at 14-0 due to the Boston Celtics. They're 8-2 in their last 10. Also 8-2 eight, eight in their last 10, the Philadelphia 76ers, who are currently third in the Eastern Conference and tied with the Celtics for first, 
the Milwaukee Bucks were nine and one in their last ten. So the Eastern Conference top dog, that three-headed monster of Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly cage are kind of pulling themselves above the teams below them in Orlando, New York, the Knicks, and the Miami Heat, as well as the mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavaliers in their in that same tier, in that same ilk. Yeah, I think that I think eventually. You can't say that the Boston Celtics are going to go 41 and 0 at home. And I know exactly the game in I mean, which it's going to 40 and 1. 40 and 1? 41. That's what I'm guessing, Cage. 41. Maybe, maybe 39 and 2. That, 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 that's at worst, 30, 39 and 2. Uh-huh. I know when they're going to get their first win of the season. You know what, Cage? That's a great question. Who do you think breaks the Celtics' home, home winning streak? Who does it? The Detroit Pistons. No, I'm just kidding. I was gonna, yeah, yeah. You, you think so, eh? <laughs> um, you know what? I say the same the team Pistons. that gave the Celtics their first loss of the season. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Say. January 10th, the Minnesota Timberwolves make their way to Boston for, I believe, the only time of the year. And I'll be honest, Cage, that game does worry me with the way they played this year. Because before that, they played the Pistons at home. They're going to beat the Pistons. They play the Raptors at home. They're going to beat the Raptors. They play the Jazz at home. They're going to beat Utah. And then they play the Timberwolves. That's going to be a rough game. And then they play the Rockets. And that's going to be a rough game. Amy Udoka's return to Boston in the only game Houston's going to have in Boston. That's going to be a game that they could lose at home. Mm-hmm. So, and then they play the Nuggets later that month. Another rough game at home. And yeah, I know the Celtics do great at the Garden, and I know the Garden is just an absolute mecca, but a lot of really good teams coming up in January, and I don't know if they're going to be able to get unscathed through the Timberwolves, through Houston, and through um, Denver, and their only trips to the Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. So, It'll be interesting to see which one of those teams is able to break it. I would agree with you, Cage. The first one's probably the toughest in Minnesota. But, you know, if they're able to beat Minnesota, don't doubt the Nuggets and or the Rockets even. Again, with Emma Udoka, that storyline that's going to play itself through on January 13th. Udoka is definitely going to take that personal. Oh, no doubt. And you you think the Celtics are going to want to lose to their former coach? who basically left them because he did something stupid? Like, come on. Like, that's going to that's gonna be a, a fiery game off the jump mm. for both teams. Um, Milwaukee has uh, kind of fixed their early season woes cage. They're, they're on a seven-game heater. Are the tied for best Milwaukee Bucks. They also, play, they also played today. They won 131-11 over the New York Knickerbockers. Giannis had 28.7 rebounds and seven assists. He led the way in points, pardon me, for his team. Second was the bum Bobby Portis, who had 23 points. It's not a bum. And 11 rebounds in the in the win for his team. Lillard had 19 points, nine rebounds, and seven assists in the win for the second best team in the Eastern Conference because of games played right now and win percentage. You better put some respect on my boy Bobby Portis's name. Crazy eyes. Your your boy, give me a break. My boy. My boy, uh, crazy eyes. Uh, to facing off against his former team. His former team in um the New York Knickerbockers. And had some and and was jawing with uh Julius Randall. Um at one point during the second quarter, but um, he was like, y'all must not know who who I am. I'm Bobby Portis, baby. Um, but aside from maybe a couple of teams, I don't know who st- – like, that's going to be – that's a scary conundrum for any opposing – a lot of opposing teams. Who's going to stop Milwaukee's offense? Because now the their clo their closing problems that they've had isn't going to be as much of a problem with Lillard in, with Lillard in the mix now. Defensively, at the point of attack, you're going to have some issues with a Lillard Beasley backcourt, but they can out shoot you and out gun you. 
And that's not including the Lillard Giannis duo and then Middleton finally getting back to full health as well. This team is going to be a problem. This team is going to be a problem. I'd I would be shocked if you if if you don't see either two of the um, two of the three two of the Celtics Sixers or Bucks either one of those two three in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I'll be honest, Cage. Whoever gets the number one seed is going to the conference finals. And I feel bad for whoever gets the two and three seed between the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Celtics, because you know that second round matchup between those two teams is going to be a tilt, regardless of if it's the Celtics and the, the Sixers, the Sixers and the Bucks, or the Bucks and the Celtics. They're going to be rough games. So it's going to be interesting to see who takes that number one spot. I have the Bucks have it. You had the Celtics in the first spot. So we both didn't think Philly would get it, but Philly Cage is right there. They're a game and a half back of the top seed, Bucks and Celtics, at 20 mm. and 8. Currently are the second 76ers. They're 8 and 2 in their last one, as I mentioned. They've won two in a row. Their next game is until Christmas Day and the litany of games going on Christmas Day on Monday. This coming. Again, our next episode will be on Tuesday when we get there. Um but you still feel bad for the Maxi and Embiid-led Sixers because you feel like they are kind of the third wheel between those three teams. Yeah. Like they feel like the Sixers feel like the third wheel between the Bucks and the Celtics, and they're a really good team. Like let's not act like you know the, these the, the Sixers are, are not a good basketball team. They just happen to be in a conference with arguably the two best teams in basketball right now. You you honestly, KG, you could probably argue that they're the the best three teams. Old fence the Timberwolves and the Western Conference, but it's gonna be hard for the Western Conference to beat any one of the Celtics, the Bucks, or the Sixers when it gets to the NBA finals, when one of those three get there, which I will openly admit now, one of those three teams is gonna be in the NBA finals. There will not be another Miami Heat team that makes their run. It will be one of those three teams. And it's going to be really fun to see a, a, a second-round match between two of those three and a conference final between the other two of those three. Honestly, honestly, I would, I know you hate this, but I would not count the Miami Heat either. They've been there, done that. They've proven that they Jimmy, can play. Hey, man, it's not, it's not just, it's not just a Jimmy G buckets that G stands forgets, by the way. Um, it ain't just about him. Tyler Hero's taking another step forward bam at a bio still there um and then there's always those role players that just exceed expectations last year it was gabe benson and max struss uh, max struss excuse me now it's rookie jaime Haquez jr haywood highsmith obviously duncan robinson's there for shooting purposes but and Josh Richardson sort of had a resurgent year. So it's that next man up mentality for Miami and the fact that they have a one of the uh, maybe maybe the best head coach. Uh, actually, we did say this. We did say this according to our coaching rankings earlier. The best head coach in the NBA and Eric Spolstra. So have all those factors in. And it wouldn't shock me if Miami crashes the party too. I will also mention that in the playoffs right now in the Eastern Conference, after the Sixers being in the three spot, is Orlando the Magic at four, the Knicks at five, the Heat at six, and then the Cavs in that same tier at seven. And then if I include the Cavs, within a game of the Cavs is the Indiana Pacers. So I'll mention the Pacers at eight at 14 and 13. Between four and eight, they're separated by just two games from the Pacers to the Magic. So very close right now are the Eastern Conference, which from four down. Mm-hmm. But you know they're really good teams in that in that list. There's some teams that you think maybe won't be able to do much in the playoffs. Right now the Magic are on a four game losing streak. You think they may be the the fraud that kind of evens themselves back out. But still, they've had a really good season. They got a lot of really good players on that Magic team that you and I both like. And they're they're a good team. They could they could upset some people in their first real playoff run in God knows how long. The Knicks, 
one round last year, which was a surprise over the Cavaliers. You think the Cavs got to be thinking of revenge as they're right now in the play-in. The Pacers, you and I both love the Pacers. Coach Carlisle and all them guys. You know, obviously, we, you mentioned what the Heat did last year. You know, you can't really sleep on the Heat. You know, the, the East is going to be really interesting as the season goes on. We get past Christmas and towards the All-Star game and the trade deadline. Over down to the West, as I mentioned, the Minnesota Timberwolves are leading the way in the West. The Oklahoma City Thunder are second, two and a half games back. Tied with them for second are the Denver Nuggets. And no offense to the Thunder, the Nuggets, or the Timberwolves, but I don't think any one of those three teams right now are, is better than the Celtics, the Bucks, and or the 76ers. And wait, wait, wait. You said I between don't, the Timberwolves, Thunder, and the Nuggets? Yeah, I don't, I don't think any one of those teams is better than those the three teams right now, in my opinion. Right now, I can see, I can see it with. I'm the, not saying they ain't done more. I can see, I can see your point with the Timberwolves and Thunder, but the Nuggets, nah. I think because they've had, they have such a great starting lineup, and don't sleep on their bench too, because Reggie Jackson sort of had a resurgent season after being on the outside looking in in terms of the Clippers rotation, and even with the Nuggets rotation during that playoff run as well, and. You got guys like Julian Strother, Christian Braun, or Christian Braun, and Peyton Watson that really given Denver some good minutes off of the bench. So now, albeit they've been inconsistent throughout, and Denver hasn't had a world-beating season thus far, but they know what it takes, and they've been and they had effectively a dominant postseason run last season including sweeping the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and making quick work of the Heat, even winning two in Miami in the NBA Finals. So, until somebody proves that they can beat a healthy Denver team come playoff time, I think Denver still, to me, Denver still that cream of the crop. Because let's Last be real. year doesn't matter, Cage. It matters this year. And this year, they have not been as good as the three Eastern Conference teams. I'm not they saying they're not a great team. I'm not saying I don't like Nikola Jokic. I don't like Jamal Murray. I love MPJ. I love that team. But they're not, they have not been as good this year as the Phillips 76ers have been this year, as the Celtics have been this year, and the Bucks have been this year. They have not been as good as they were last year at this time. And yes, I know they won the championship and they had the short summer. I understand all those things. I'm not arguing those things. But their season so far has not been as good as the Eastern Conference. Has not been as good. Now, I'm not saying how we get you know, the playoffs, they won't be better. Mm-hmm. But right now, 30 games in for the Nuggets, they're not as good as the Celtics, Sixers, or the Bucks are right now. You play in a seven-game series tomorrow, I take the Eastern Conference teams in every single one of those three series. Give it a couple months, that may change. I just think with the way Denver closed out that regular season last year, they don't care about it. They just want to get through the playoffs. They just want to get to the playoffs healthy. They get to the playoffs healthy, and that's a problem for the rest of the league. Right now in the playoff spots in the East, fourth is Sacramento Kings. Fifth right now are the LA Clippers for getting absolutely crushed, annihilated, brutalized by the Boston Celtics. We'll talk about that when the game is officially over in a few moments. I mean, it is officially um, The New, it, New Orleans it, it, Pelicans are sixth. Pretty, game's pretty much over. It's a 31-point lead for the Celtics with 3.46 to go in the fourth. Cage, the game, the cage, cage, the game was over at halftime. I'm just saying when the game's officially over, when the final is listed, we'll talk about it a little bit. The Pelicans are right now sixth in the Western Conference. The Mavericks are seventh. The, uh, the Rockets are at eight. And then the nine and ten spots right now are the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Suns. And the Warriors are tied with Phoenix for the tenth spot in the play-in, but they're right now looking out. They're on the outside looking in at playoffs. So the Western Conference is just as tight as the Eastern Conference cage when you look at it from four basically down to the Warriors. They're all within basically four games of each other. From four to mm-hmm. 11, they're all within four games. Unlike the East, where once you get to the Bulls at 11, it's a little bit more spread out on the East side. But still, you know, it's 
you know, pretty slim pickings the lower you get in the West there with how close those teams are. And your team won't make it in the end because one of the one of those teams is gonna have to miss with obviously the Warriors being in right now the eleventh spot in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. They might have to find some minutes for Trace Jackson Davis, who has really given maybe the Warriors kind of found that count found that piece at the five that they can count on down the stretch and Trace Jackson Davis because he's won them some games too with his work on the glass. Yeah, I saw a lot of when he played at Indiana in the NCAA for an Indiana Hoosiers team that basically was all him. And now I, I got to mention, Cage, that when you click on Trace Jackson, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, the like the forward for Golden State, when you click on his stat, career stats on, um, oh no, okay, it just glitched. Oh no, no, it is, it is doing that. So when you click on Trace Jackson Davis on the score, it pops up with uh, the definite wrong uh, NBA player. It 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 puts you up for Tracy Jackson, uh, former Boston Celtic. He played basically four years in the NBA, no three years in the NBA, mm-hmm. and uh, he was born in 1959. Trace Jackson Davis was not born in 1959, so I wonder. I wonder if the score will get that fixed up, but anyway, I'll quickly go over to Trace Jackson Davis. I want to mention some of his college stats because not only was he a second-round pick by the Wizards, obviously traded immediately to the Golden State Warriors. You know, he's from Indiana. Again, played for the Hoosiers in the NCAA, and uh, just as OG Ananobi did, who's right now been in in some uh, in some rumored trades as. Uh, some teams continue to look to add in, in the NBA right now with trying to, I'll say again, with, you know, some of those top tier teams being so close, even some of the middling teams being so close, you just want to be able to pull yourself above, you know, your competition. And a guy like OG could do that. A guy like Zach Levine, whose name's been kind of out there, could do that. Yeah. And I guess, Cage, I'll, I'll ask you the question, who do you think it's traded first, Zach Levine or OG Ananobi? Zach Levine. I think OG should be traded first. But I don't think he is. I think, I fear Toronto's going to go down that path in which they're going to do everything they can to keep him and actually not trade him. So I think in that sort of sense, Zach Levine's more likely to get moved. Especially, it also and it also helps that Chicago's played a lot better without him. Uh, Kobe White has really ascended to another level and Patrick Williams has shown a little bit of something, something, too. I will now mention, Cage, that Trace Jackson Davis averaged almost 18 points a game in his four years starting at Indiana. He averaged over his career 99.1 rebounds a game, including averaging almost 11 in his last year with the Hoosiers. He also averaged almost three blocks a game in his senior year at Indiana. He's not a seven-footer. He's only 6'9". He adds a lot of what Kevon Looney does to the Warriors without, I'll say, with being a better player and a more athletic player and having a different sort of skill set than a guy like Kevon Looney. But, you know, it's definitely good to have two guys that can kind of fit that center role in Looney and Trace Jackson Davis. We're around the same size, might I, I add. What, and also, it, uh, it also. And I know how much fan you are of Kevon Looney. It also helps that no disrespect to Kevon Looney, but, but he has he had an injury riddled start to his career and had to deal with multiple hip surgeries to both hips. Um, granted, he's been healthy since then, but having a healthier and more athletic option at that five and Trace Jackson Davis really helps matters out. And I remember he got traded. I think he was a second-round pick by the Wizards, and he got traded to the Warriors, and he, and and he went along the lines of, "You gonna regret this." And right now, looks like they might be regretting. Looks like that Wizards team is regretting it a little bit. Yeah, I think they're regretting a lot of things, like existing. But you know, we'll we'll leave that where that is for the poor Washington Wizards. 
Um, another team that's been kind of surprisingly bad, question mark, the Phoenix Suns. 14 and 14 right now are the uh, team all the way down south. And even with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker who only played 19 games and Bradley Beal has played all of six games this year, you know, mm-hmm. it's been a surprisingly rough start for the Phoenix Suns who are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. A team that you and I, I think, both predicted to to win the Western Conference, to lead the Western Conference. We're now barely in the play-in right now at, at this point in time, 28 games and, in for them. And I think this was something we probably should have foreseen at how injury-prone that trio is. Surprising, and they have just an, just as much of an injury-prone center as, as they do in Yusuf Nurkic. Ironically, he's been the healthiest out of them four. So health-wise, it's a concern for the Suns, and I were like with the limited amount of time and games that Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant have all played together, without Bradley Beal being out for a couple of weeks too. I worry if this team does not get healthy and full, let's just say by just after after the All Star break. Will it be too little, too late to get some chemistry across, and and like that chemistry issues will show up come postseason time? Like that, that's a concern. And maybe going through what they're going through right now will actually help them come playoff time. But you need your best guys healthy. Right now, I don't trust that, and it also helps that they can't defend well, to save their lives. No, no, they cannot. But a team on the rise. 13th in the Western Conference, 8-19 are the Memphis Grizzlies. They've won two in a row, though, both of which the first two games of John Morant's year after his 25-game suspension. And he's averaging 27 points a game, 8.5 rebounds a game. He's had eight assists in both games. His shooting from three has been off since his return to Memphis. He had a game winner in his first game against the Pelicans. He had 20 in the win against Indiana. And... Let's see how high Memphis can get. Because you got to think, Cage, Memphis is going to be in that play-in situation with John Morant back in the fold. Because oh, you got to think they're gonna, we're going to obviously turn around their season with John Morant back in the fold. Oh, they're at least going to get to the play-in. They're at least going to get into the play-in. That might sound bold based off the start that they've had, but Memphis has looked like a completely different team with John in the, in the mix. They've looked more confident. They've looked more comfortable. Um, that first game with John Morant there, like, I think the betting odds had such a disrespectful money line for Memphis. Now, granted, it's Morant, it was Morant's first game, but against the Pelicans, they were a plus 240. I've never hammered a money line so much before in my life than from Memphis, from the Grizzlies. But that team looks more comfortable, more confident with Morant in the mix now. And Morant and John Morant, uh, oh no, as as I like to call him, as I like to call him, let me make sure I get this name right. You're gonna hate me for saying this, but I have to. I already, I already hate you now. I already hate you now. Demetrius Jamel, Demetrius Jamel Morant. He reminded people of who he, who he was in that first game. And. Balled out. Balled out in, in, in the first two games. And I think the biggest difference has been defensively, too. Um, because a big indication was that Pacers game. Pacers, best offense in the league by far. Only scored 103 points against the Grizzlies. So that team right now, it's, it's early. It's been two games. But they've looked locked in than they have been at any point this season. And that's scary to the rest of the league, especially that now that that well, Josh is not running. Well, again, we'll see how quickly Memphis rise up the Western Conference standings. We'll mention now the Celtics have won again. They won 145-108 over the Los Angeles Clippers. Jason Tatum led the way in the game with 30 points in 30 minutes. Jalen LeBron at 24. Drew Holiday had 26 rebounds and seven assists. And D. White. Derek White with 
is Big Baldhead, now at 18 points in the win for the Celtics, leading the Eastern Conference. Man, Shaq and Charles Barkley really Derek White into, into shaving his head, didn't they? Yeah, go home. Come on. Come on, buddy. Come on. Come on home. Come on home there. Come on. Come now, on, Cage, man. we're going to end the show, I think, with this. There are, there, there are five games on Christmas Day. Five games for us to review going into Tuesday's episode of Polar Opposites. We're going to go through all five, and we're going to predict who we think wins those five games. Yes, so sir. the first game at 12 o'clock, the Milwaukee Bucks against the New York Knicks. Who you got winning that one? And that one's in New York at MSG. Oh, that's an easy one. The Bucks. They got uh, the Knicks have no answer defensively for for Milwaukee's offense, and Milwaukee has looked dominant against New York. Um, the Bucks have started to figure things out now on a seven-game winning streak, and they just did play the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden, and they had their way with them on the offensive end. Yeah, sure, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle got theirs, but R.J. Barrett struggled. That Bucks team is finally being healthy. Um, I'm trying to see the box score for this one. Um, oh, I, I, I literally just saw an upset special in the NCAA. I'll mention that in a bit. Um, but Damian Lillard, a pedestrian 19 points, but nine rebounds and seven assists. Malik Beasley had a great game, 19 points. Giannis had, had 28 points. Bobby Portis, 23 and 11, and Chris Middleton with 20. With the amount of balanced scoring that that the Bucks have and the fact that they've exploited the Knicks in this season series, I think it's going to be a double-digit win for the Bucks, and they'll score over 120 at least. Well, I also think the, the uh, Bucks going to eight straight wins on the year or eight straight wins in this winning streak as they beat the Knicks again at, at away from home. Then at 2:30, the Golden State Warriors make their trip to Mile High to take on the Denver Nuggets. Kick. Who do you got winning that one? I have the Nuggets, but it will be a very close game. I think the Nuggets' bench is not as great as last season, and I think that'll play a role. I think the Nuggets starters will outclass the Warriors starters, but the Warriors bench will keep them in games. We'll keep them in this game. I have Denver winning by two possessions. I would say four or five. I have the Nuggets pulling off the win at Ball Arena, and I think they win by double digits. I don't think the game ends close. Hmm. Um, Going to the 5 o'clock game, the game I will probably be watching on Christmas Day, the Boston Celtics make their way to Crypto.com Arena to take on the Los Angeles Lakers. In a historic rivalry that goes on for or goes back generations. We have winning that one, Cage. Ooh. See, it depends on if the Lakers are full and healthy. No oh, such thing. Man. I think this is a big state. Actually, let me see the Celtics' schedule. Let me see the Celtics' schedule. Is that the last game of that road trip for them? It is the last game of that road trip. I think they're going to try to end it with a bang. I got Celtics winning. I got Celtics making a statement. Uh, I think Tatum's going to have a big game. And um, actually, no. I don't think Tatum's going to have a big game because I think I could see the Lakers defense zeroing, zeroing in on Tatum and Brown. I think you're going to see a big game from Derek White. I think he's going to be the primary beneficiary of those of the of the looks that Brown and Tatum are going to give to him, and he's going to have a he's going to have a big game. So I got Celtics. I don't think it's going to be decided by double digits, but I think they're going to win by like seven or eight. The Celtics win by like twenty at least. Celtics are going to blow out the Lakers away from home. I don't think the game's going to be close. I think AD will probably have like thirty or forty, and with that, the Celtics are going to win by fifteen or twenty, in my opinion. I think the game's going to be an absolute blowout, and it's going to be then Celtics swinging the hammer. At 8 o'clock on Christmas Day, the Philadelphia much? 76ers, not really, the Philadelphia 76ers make their way to Miami to take on the Miami Heat. A rematch of the second round last year? No, that was Sixers Celtics. Am I right in saying that? Huh? That was Sixers Celtics? 
It was six six Celtics. I couldn't season. remember if they if they played them after the Bucks. No. Well, Bucks that's right. Lost the Heat, heat. The Knicks, and then anyway. the Heat played the Knicks. Yes, and then Knicks, and they beat up on the Knicks because the Knicks suck. You're right. Then the Celtics beat up on those lowly, no good, rotten Sixers who played the Miami Heat in Miami. Who do you have winning the eight o'clock game, Cage? I got the Heat. I got the no good, stinky, quote unquote, according to Spencer Byers. The Miami Heat. Just to piss you off. No, but just kidding. And no, but um, the reason why I got the Heat is Embiid's nursing an ankle injury, and I don't know if he's going to be 100% for that game. And, I'm, and a less than 100% Embiid going up against a Sixers team. Granted, Butler is going to look at that Sixers team and be like, you call, y'all could have won a championship if I was in the picture. But I think the Heat are going to take it personal. Granted, it is in Miami. And I think Hero and I think Hero and Maxi are gonna go at it, but I think Miami's gonna come out on the right end of this one, especially with a banged up Joel Embiid. And he might not even play that game too. I wanna pick neither of these teams, but if I had to pick one, I think the reigning MVP, as much as I hate saying that, Joel Embiid's gonna have a big night. And I don't know if the Miami Heat, especially with both. And Bede nursing an injury, and apparently Jimmy Butler nursing an injury. I think those two guys playing is really going to affect that result. But I have the Sixers winning it away from home, being only what this. Well, actually, I basically picked every road team except for the Nuggets. But I'll pick the Sixers in the win. I take one. I take all three of the top Eastern Conference teams all winning on Christmas Day, and then the 10:30 game in Phoenix. The Dallas Mavericks make their way to Phoenix, to Footprint Center. What a name for our arena, by the way. The Footprint Center in, in Phoenix as the Suns take on the Mavericks cage. Who do you have in that one to end off the Christmas festivities? See, I'm looking at the spread for this, and it's Phoenix five and a half, and I don't like it. I don't think Phoenix has done enough to earn that five and a half point spread. You would obviously have to think, based off of the news from Dallas, that Kyrie's not going to play in that one. Has suffered a, I think it was a heel contusion. Thanks, Dwight Powell, for being so reckless. Um, fantasy team purposes, by the way, if you saw me get heated at that very moment. Um, you would have to think it would be Phoenix because KD Booker and Booker are playing in that one. And Nurkic should be back for, for that game. But it's going to be closer than people think. I think it's. I think Phoenix is going to win by maybe they might cover that spread, but they'll win by like six, seven, or eight. That's a game I'm a little bit uncertain about because both. I'll be honest, Cage. I want to pick neither. Uh, for different reasons than the Sixers in Miami, I don't want to pick either because I don't. This win again, as you said, is very close. These two teams are very close. Um. But I have to agree with you. I think the I think Phoenix wins at home because of Kyrie being hurt. If Kyrie Irving was going to play, then I would probably pick the Mavs to win. But since Kyrie's hurt, I'm going to give Phoenix the edge at home. I think Phoenix end the night with a win. And I'll be honest, I think the game ends one of two ways. And I know this sounds dumb. I think the game ends on a buzzer beater or the game ends 10 points or more. I don't think it's a a close game. I think it's either a a nail-biter or it's a blowout one way. I think it's going to end with Phoenix pulling away late, and I think they probably win by maybe 10 or 12 is my guess. I think they pull away late, and they kind of take it. The game probably stays around that mark. You mentioned, Cage, between probably four and six points, and then late on, the Suns pull away. Durant goes hot or Booker goes hot. And they pull away and win by maybe 10 or 12 in the end for Phoenix. So I've got Phoenix, the Sixers, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Celtics. And you've got the Bucks, the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Suns. And I think the one thing that we kind of disagree on, heat, I- right? Yeah, you picked the Heat at home. I picked the six on the road. Other than that, you and I picked 
the exact same teams on Christmas Day. So we'll see who ends up winning extra games because you and I will have the same record except for the Sixers game. So we'll see who has the better record coming out of the Christmas games. But with that cage, as you mentioned, we'll end it with the upset going on in the NCAA. FAU, Florida Atlantic, upset number four, Arizona, 96-95 in double overtime. Big win for FAU to keep themselves probably going into the top 10 after being dropped down to 14 on the year. Yep. As We'll see where Arizona falls with only, I think, their second loss of the year. Mm-hmm. Big They're win on the other loss going to FAU Purdue. To kind of like stay within striking distance of Arizona throughout and then ultimately deliver the knockout blow in double overtime. Um, and you got to wonder, like, how far is Arizona going to drop? Maybe not too much, but going from one to four, you definitely think they're going to drop after this one. But how far do they drop? I think it also depends on who around them ends up pulling out some wins and maybe in in also the other way, lose, losing some games and figuring out some stuff. I will also mention Cage, because if I would have known this game was going to happen, I would have went. The Yukon Huskies. Played the TMU Bowl. Yes, yes. Toronto Metropolitan University hosted. Not only did they did they play, they hosted. They went to Toronto. Did the Yukon Huskies on the women's side. And, of course, they shellacked the poor bowl with 111-34. Well, you have the Huskies. Think, well, you have to think that was because of Aaliyah Edwards and her homecoming there. But still, I would have went to... Toronto. I would have went downtown to watch TMU play UConn just to see Paige Beckers, just to see Edwards, just to see one of the best teams in the country on the women's side in the UConn Huskies. And in fairness, on the men's side as well as they have a top five program right now, do UConn on the other side. But I will mention today, the last set of ranked games going on until the Christmas break, they'll come back to the 27th through ranked teams. So a little break on both sides of the NCAA banner because of course of the christmas break unlike the nba players where they're paid professionals these kids are technically unpaid well they're paid non-professionals they're paid amateurs now but formerly non-paid professionals but it'll be interesting to see when they come back from their christmas break who ends up uh, again pulling their pulling themselves a little bit away and i will mention kids i don't think we mentioned it because i remember talking about the memphis virginia game and Memphis shellacking Virginia. Did we talk about Baylor being uh, Baylor losing to Duke 78-70 on Wednesday? I didn't think we did. So Duke beat Baylor 78-70, hitting the Bears their second loss of the year. We'll see where Duke move up and again where Baylor will fall um, in the next AP poll. Crichton also lost. They lost to Villanova 68-66 in overtime on the same day on Wednesday, December 20th. And then uh, Oklahoma. They lost their O. They lost their first game of the year to UNC. North Carolina won 81-69. So now there's only two undefeated teams left in the nation. Houston and James Madison are the only two undefeated teams currently in the NCAA. And you got to think James Madison will go undefeated unless they somehow lose and lose in conference. And then for the Houston Cougars, they also could theoretically go undefeated because they don't have a a very hard road as they have one last game before they go in conference and their last game is against the University of Penn. So, University of Pennsylvania, known as Penn. So, you know, we'll see if their, I believe, what Big 12 play will give them their first loss of the year, but it'll be interesting to see who is that team to give them their first loss. Is it Kansas? Is it Texas? Is it Kansas State with Coach Tang? Who knows who's going to be able to give them their first loss in conference, but, you know, the Big 12 is a good conference. So Houston does have a sort of tough road once they get in the conference play, but, you know, their last out-of-conference game is rather easy, unlike James Madison, who play in a lesser conference. They could go undefeated. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, they get upset. That could happen. And I will actually mention, because I did not notice this, Old Miss is also undefeated. They're currently 11-0, and are the Rebels. They actually won today against Southern Miss, 
their last out of conference games against uh, Bryant on uh, the 31st of December, and then they start their co- uh, their conference play of the SEC, and it'll be interesting to see who gives them their first loss in conference because the SEC is a decent basketball conference, but it's not the best. They've got Kentucky, they've got Alabama, but you know, other than those two teams. You know, not a whole lot of great basketball. No offense to Tennessee, no offense to, um, I'd even say Auburn or Arkansas or LSU. But, you know, the SEC is not a real powerhouse in the NCAA basketball. But, you know, undefeated Ole Miss, we'll see what they can do in conference. Especially with, again, the eighth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers in their conference. Going to have to play them in the SEC. Going to have to play Kentucky. They're right now ninth in the country. So they're going to have some really tough games at our old Miss when they look to go undefeated on the NCAA season. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that'll do it for us. So again, we'll come back on Tuesday for some more regularly scheduled programming here on the Outrage Inc. But for Cajun Theroux, Thanny Castle, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode of Polar Opposites on the aforementioned Outrage Inc.